This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. and welcome to a brand new episode of Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host, Wahid Jensen. Thank you so much for joining me in a brand new episode. This is the fourth episode in our series on support systems. And today, joining me all the way from Melbourne, Australia, is Chris, who is going to be talking to us today about 12-step programs and uh, support systems that are part of the sexual recovery programs, such as Sexaholics Anonymous, among other support systems. I have another interview with Chris uh, that is coming up, inshallah, after we finish the series of episodes on support systems. He's one of the two guest speakers for this season who are going to be sharing with us their story. Chris is in his 60s and he has decades of experience in the recovery community and in many different areas and disciplines. His experience and his insights are incredible, mashallah, and I really can't wait for everyone to listen to this episode and a later episode, inshallah, where he will be sharing with us his experience. But like I said, the focus of this episode is on 12-step programs in general, as well as 12-step programs that are specifically dedicated to overcoming sexual addictions. So let's get started. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful spring morning here. Wonderful. You guys have spring. We're all, It's almost fall here. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, good to be talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this. So let's start by talking about 12-step programs in general. Um, so many of the listeners listening to us today do not know what 12-step programs are. So if I were to ask you, how did those programs start? How did they evolve throughout the years? Uh, the first 12-step program was Alcoholics Anonymous, and it started in Akron, Ohio, in the, the USA. Um, it grew out of an evangelical Christian organization called the Oxford Groups, which were a disciplined study approach uh, using scriptural principles to help people overcome um, sin. Okay. Um, and what was happening within the Oxford groups is they were attracting alcoholics, uh, for which there were very few answers uh, back in the 1930s. Um, two people, one from New York, one from Akron, met up, uh, Dr. Bob and Bill W., as they're affectionately called, uh, and their meeting up was the time that Bill, Dr. Bob got sober, and that's the time that they say AA officially started with their meeting uh, where they were applying these principles mm-hmm. of the Oxford group. They were sort of outside an Oxford group meeting. Okay. Um, and then over time they, they, they decided to carry the message of these principles to uh, other alcoholics, that that was part of their journey of recovery. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, it then turned, they separated from the Oxford groups, became a more formal organisation as, as time went on, publishing their book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, in 1939. Mm-hmm. And then since then, uh, various 12-step Program hundreds of twelve-step programs have emerged since then, using the same principles uh, based on the twelve steps. Okay, very interesting. This is as far as history is concerned. So, what is the general mission and the vision of these twelve-step programs in general? Before we go into the details, uh, they deliberately have a narrow focus of helping people achieve abstinence from a particular substance or behaviour. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than having any sense of propagandizing or being involved in politics, a very narrow focus of helping helping people with 
achieve abstinence. Right. So you said that Alcoholics Anonymous was the first organization to start, and nowadays we have hundreds of 12-step programs. So can you tell us about examples of the different kinds of programs available and how they are accessed? Okay. Um, I suppose historically the way they emerged uh, after AA started, it became clear that the families of alcoholics um, also needed help, and that's how Alanoc got started. Yeah. We're, again, applying the same principles um, of self-examination. Um, uh, they began to disentangle themselves from their involvement in their partner's uh, alcoholism. Um, then... It went into areas such as narcotics, gambling, uh, food, sex, um, even uh, areas like there's a survivors of incest anonymous, uh, adult children of alcoholics, emotions anonymous, mm -hmm. um, even a racist anonymous. So that was a new one to me when I've researched that this, this week. Interesting. Uh, debt is anonymous. There's a number of financial programs um, as well. A lot of these are quite small, um, mm -hmm. um, but there are literally hundreds of them. That's very interesting. And um, how are they accessed? Um, how, how do people usually access these programs? Well, traditionally, it's been about face-to-face -face meetings, um, and that's all changed, especially with COVID, um, mm -hmm. where uh, now virtual meetings is 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 changing the face of 12-step programs mm -hmm. uh, because what used to be more isolated isolated members are now becoming more regular parts of fellowships with a, a larger range of online meetings available than ever. So most of these programs will have uh, will have websites. Uh, it's a matter of just uh, searching for whatever the issue, uh, you know, 12-step plus gambling, 12-step plus food, um, and you'll, you'll end up finding the range of options. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. All right, so let's now talk about the 12 steps in detail. And what does each step entail from 1 to 12? Okay. They're broadly divided into three different categories. Um, steps 1 to 3 is find God. Mm -hmm. Steps 4 to 9 is clean house. Um, and steps 10 to 12 are the maintenance steps. Um, going through each step individually, um, step 1 is we were admitted we were powerless over alcohol or whatever other behaviour, that our lives had become unmanageable. Uh, this is about seeing the depth of our problem and the need for vast change in behaviour and, and attitudes. Uh, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Commonly, this looks at negative images of a higher power or God, often having to reconceptualise that concept into one that's workable. Mm -hmm. um, so some people have uh, religion wounds uh, that they have to work through. Uh, they've tied in their view of God to uh, a parental or, or their own upbringing and their own experiences. And so having learning how to change that concept to a more um, loving, um, higher power is, is an essential part of step two. Mm -hmm. uh, step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Mm -hmm. This is essentially uh, having the willingness to do the work involved in the rest of the steps, which is about looking deep inside our thoughts, our motives and our actions and deciding what we need to clean up. Mm -hmm. Step four, uh, made a searching, fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I need to say here that a lot of this is written down. There's an enormous range of formats and questions for each of the steps that each of the programs put out and some generic, and um, but they don't even need to be written. Some people uh, do them more orally, uh, especially if they've got disabilities, but mm -hmm. And essentially it's about a change of heart with each of these um, rather than necessarily how long you've written on, on a particular step. Right. So step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is 
often um, the, you know a core step because it looks initially at fears and resentments, mm-hmm. uh, and there's actually a connection between fears and resentments and addiction. Uh, they both come out. They all come out of the survival brain. Addictive behaviour is about attaching survival salience, the importance of survival to a particular uh, substance or behaviour. Fears and resentments are survival brain-based behaviours. So um, inventorying our fears and our resentments and looking at the belief patterns behind them is about separating ourselves from those triggers for addiction, that the less we're in our survival brain with fears and resentments, the more we're going to be able to be free of, free of our addictive um, triggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, step five is uh, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. This is discussing the step four inventory work with another person, um, either within the 12-step program or with a spiritual advisor or counsellor or therapist. Uh, and this is about really about breaking the shame and secrecy. Right. This is commonly, um, this is where people are, are talking about things they've never talked about in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. This involves looking back at our our fourth step and seeing that there's usually a summary of character defects that we can identify, Mm -hmm. whether it be greed or a critical spirit, uh, you know, lust, um, and we make a list of those and become willing to to progressively remove them over time. Mm -hmm. Um, Step seven is humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. This is praying and meditating over the character flaws that have been identified and committing to work with our creator on these flaws. Mm -hmm. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Um, I think that's fairly self-explanatory. But that developing the willingness, um, you know, can be a process in itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And step nine, gives a a nuance to step eight. Step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So it's uh, it's very clear that, you know, we don't necessarily, um, you know, go and dig up, you know, really deep hurts with people of the past who it will just trigger them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's about cleaning our side of the street, not theirs. Mm -hmm. So this is usually done with the help of a sponsor, spiritual advisor or counsellor working through our step eight list and wisely uh, approaching the amends process Mm -hmm. um, and deciding, you know, which ones we we need to do immediately, which ones are um, you know over time and which amends we'll never make. And and sometimes there can be virtual amends so it may be if you've stolen you and that person's dead you might give money to a charity Mm -hmm. um so it's about making things right Mm -hmm. uh, rather than just saying sorry step 10 um is about continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it this is continuing to identify where fears resentments and other negative attitudes are driving our thoughts and behaviors and correcting such behaviours and making amends, you know, where necessary on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Again, I think fairly self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Step 12, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So this is about developing an attitude of service both within our lives and within our recovery program, so working with newcomers um, uh, and, and, you know, taking those phone calls of people in need, um, you know, that we connect with that we might to, be involved in sponsorship, which I know we'll be talking a bit about later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an overview of this, there's 
a lot of similarity between what goes on in the steps here and what goes on in some cognitive behavioural therapy work and also uh, what goes on in what's called shadow work. So what is shadow work in particular? Because you mentioned this right now. I'm not familiar with the term. It's it's basically looking at our hidden motives uh, behind things. Okay. Um, it's used in a lot of personal development fields. I know um, some of the mm-hmm. the work I've done with uh, I've gone to workshops with uh, Mankind Project and others where shadow work's involved. Um, I can't remember the exact psychologist that shadow work comes out of, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a it's a well recognised sort of field. Okay, all right. Thank you for clarifying that. All right. So, um, so in addition to the twelve steps that you listed, usually there are also twelve traditions. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? As AA groups developed, uh, they each developed their own little set of rules. Uh, and over time, it became clear that this was quite chaotic mm-hmm. um, and they had to develop a common set of principles to guide the function of groups. And so about 15 years into Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 traditions were developed which, which guide the, the function of each group. There are a set of broad principles um, so each 12-step program has has their own uh, 12 traditions. Usually they're mm-hmm. pretty much the it, uh, word for word from AA, but sometimes there's a few amendments. When I read about 12-step programs, um, I came across the fact that there are three dimensions. So the physical is one dimension, and then the emotional slash mental is another, and the third one is the spiritual. So can you tell us a little bit about these dimensions? Okay, they're intrinsically interconnected and uh, Mm -hmm. some of the history of AA is forgotten in the way that this is presented um, in most, in my experience, in most 12-step programs where physical has been largely limited uh, until recently to abstinence from Mm behaviour or abstinence from the substance. So it's the idea that alcohol or drugs or food or sex fogs our mind and we need to be physically clear of that in order to do the steps to face ourselves and to see ourselves clearly. Mm -hmm. But if you look at early AA history, there was a vast amount of medical involvement and that that in early AA groups, prior hospitalisation was often required. and, and a lot of people don't know that that's, that's, that's the origin. And there was a, there's a vast history of medical, uh, medical treatment and cooperation with medical um, programs. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the first chapter of the, AA, the original Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book published in 1939, it's the doctor's opinion. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how much, um, you know, the, the medical was part of that and in that book, uh, the the author of The Doctor's Opinion was the world's leading expert on alcoholism at the time. He talks about the need for physical healing often before these spiritual principles uh, can be fully realised in a person. Mm-hmm. So that's the physical um, aspect. Um, you know, poorly regulated emotional or mental states will contribute into falling into compulsive behaviour um so learning to regulate our our emotions or mental states is, is a vital part of recovery um of course our spiritual practice affects both our body and our emotions mm-hmm. so suitable spiritual practices and 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 discipline um you know by practicing those we're less likely to fall into uh compulsive behavior right Perfectly explained. Thank you for that. Um, Okay, so if anyone is interested in joining these programs, how do people usually sign up for these programs? Are there particular verification or admission processes? Um, Can you tell us a little bit about this? Most 12-step programs, uh, you just turn up at a meeting. Um, as a newcomer, some, um, particularly the sexual programs, had been uh, had a screening process. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that happens less and less now, um, and things are much more in the open. 
the the third tradition says that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop our, our problematic behaviour. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, if if you if you say that, then you're 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 in. Okay. Um, contacting the the various programs through their websites. Uh, I mean, these days you can join straight into a, a Zoom or a phone meeting online, um, and I've been on 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 such meetings recently where we'll have brand newcomer, uh, you know, turn up at one of those those meetings. Sounds about right. Um, okay, and and there is this uh, concept in twelve step programs. Um, the idea of having a sponsor to help someone um, through the process or to achieve sobriety. Can you tell us about sponsors and how they usually function? A sponsor is a fellow fellow member of the program, usually with some degree of recovery, um, who guides another member in recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, some see that role very narrowly focused around working the steps. Um, others see it more broadly as a mentoring relationship. Um, some groups will help you find a sponsor. In others, you have to hunt around for one. Um, normally, uh, a member will ask someone to be a sponsor rather than a sponsor offering, though all varieties of this happen because each each group runs itself and creates its own mini sort of uh, practices, yeah. All right. And, and you said that sometimes they're just um, sponsors focus on working the steps and other times it's a mentoring relationship. So it's more holistic and, and they help the mentee in, in whatever issues they're going through, right? Um, yeah. Um, and this is the way I work with members, but I'll, I'll talk about my own sponsor where when he first came in to um, Alcoholics Anonymous 20 years ago, he had uh, a sponsor who would ta- would take him for walks. Who taught him how to exercise? Mm-hmm. Um, showed him how to buy healthy food. That's excellent. So, if anyone would like to learn more about twelve-step programs in general or particular programs, what are some books or resources that you would recommend for us to learn more? Okay. Um, each twelve-step program develops their own literature, uh, and limited amounts of that will be uh, available online. A lot of people will work the original AA text, uh, and they're now available as, as uh, PDFs and as also in audio of the AA website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those original texts from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s are, are often seen as, as, as important. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very popular guide uh, to the 12 steps called The Gentle Path Through the 12 Steps by Patrick Carnes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been around a long time now and it's still very, very popular um, in helping people through that. There'll be a link in the episode notes to, to that book. All right. So all of the resources that we'll be talking about will be found in the episode description for anyone interested in uh, learning more about these. And you mentioned also the big book, so is that a go-to resource for all of the 12-step programs? Most programs would refer back to the AA Big Book in some way mm-hmm. because it's considered that's where the program started in the 1930s. Okay. All right. So um, there's a term that's used about AA uh, as the mothership. I see. Right. Because that's the main uh, program and then everything diverged from that, right? Yeah. And it's, it's still by far the biggest program of all. Uh-huh. All right. One very common question that we get asked a lot is how effective are these programs? And I know that this is a very broad question. So if someone were to ask you this, as I'm doing right now, how would you answer that? Okay. I'm not a propagandist for 12-step programs um, mm-hmm. uh, because the program tells me to be honest. This is a big question uh, and almost impossible to measure how effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, most success rates quoted by 12-step programs, and I've got to say also by rehabs and other programs, are unreliable mm-hmm. because it be, it'll be depending upon the particular demographic they're dealing with. You know, uh, are they creaming in their in their statistics where they're taking an elite and then saying, "Well, this is why we've got this 
you know, uh, great success rate. Mm-hmm. Right. So Alcoholics uh, Anonymous claims in in the AA Big Book um, to have had fifty to seventy five percent success rate in their early years in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties, and that myth still goes around. Uh, all to, a lot of twelve step programs, but this has been thoroughly dis- disproved. Mm. Um, it was a bit of propaganda, um, a bit of exaggeration. Um, and that's not to underestimate what they achieved. They, AA has helped getting, gotten uh, people sober mm-hmm. in numbers like never before in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still an enormous amount of, of failure. Um, and, and one of the reasons this is impossible to measure is how do you compare someone coming in who's a high-functioning corporate executive with someone who's on maybe on the autism spectrum or who's who's a, a, a you know a homeless man, homeless man mm-hmm. uh, that often there's you know one will have access to you know a, re, a, a residential rehab uh, counseling along with 12 step the other may not right. um, some have various other conditions as well and so there are, there are no pure figures on, on, on this uh, at all. Of course. And then um, in terms of like being effective, so it's very subjective. So how, how do people measure this? So for example, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's about abstinence from alcohol, whereas in other programs, it kind of becomes, okay, what am I abstaining from? Or is it like sexual sobriety or so, uh, you know, and, and for how long it kind of depends on so many different variables, right? Yeah. That's when things get complicated and more challenging to measure, I can imagine. And if we're trying to be objective, so if we're to tackle the downsides or the disadvantages, from your personal experience, what would you tell us about that? Spiritual programs like 12-step programs share a similar problem with with religions in that they have very lofty lofty ideals, great literature, often profound orators within within their organisations with the adherence of their followers lagging far behind. Okay. And um, so I, th- I think that that's, that that's my experience having been around religious recovery programs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12-step programs have experienced all the sorts of scandals that religious institutions have experienced, misguided leaders, factions, fundamentalism, court cases. So uh, over my 30 years in in 12-step programs, I've seen, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly, as they say. Right. Okay. So one of the critiques that I've heard of people um, who say that there is a difference between saying I'm an alcoholic or a sexaholic or whatever it is, as uh, people who join these groups tend to say about themselves, versus saying I have or I deal with, or I experience alcoholism or sexual addictions and so on. Um, you know, that the first one kind of internalizes the problem, makes it makes it part of my identity, part of me, whereas the, the second one recognizes it as something that is separate, something that is more manageable. How do you respond to this critique? Um, I think it's a justified critique, and I think it will partly depend on someone's personality. Mm-hmm. Some people can wear the label alcoholic, sexaholic lightly um, and see it just as a means of identification as part of part of the group. Others will feel weighed down and burdened by it. Um, some programs or groups are more flexible about how people are identified identify within the meeting while others are quite dogmatic uh, meeting I'm I'm involved in at the moment some people just say um, I'm a member okay. uh, I've, heard, I've heard other people say give a very long detailed saying I'm in recovery from my addiction okay. uh, or, uh, saying I'm powerless over lust as a as a means of saying I'm part of part of the whole um, so we will find varying practices around, um, and again, the more dogmatic groups will look at you sternly if you don't say the right word, and and others are much more chill about it. Okay, 
All right, good to know. Um, all right, another critique that I've heard from multiple people is that there is a focus on sobriety to the point that you assign a number for it. So I have been two weeks or two months sober and so on. And with time, it kind of inadvertently starts to build up pressure on the individual and uh, many people who report relapsing, let's say, after some time, say that we have been sober, let's say, for a long time, and then something happened, we relapsed, but our relapse ended up becoming a vicious cycle of shame and despair, and we spiraled down worse than before. Or the idea that when I assign a number to my sobriety, it kind of adds, adds pressure, and so the fall becomes way worse than expected. So how do you respond to this? Uh, I think it's a justifiable criticism. Um, and again, I think it's going to depend on personality. Some people can wear a sobriety date lightly. Um, other people will feel that as as, as pressure. Personally, um, I've, I've been fascinated by a difference I've seen within between um, a couple of the sexual recovery programs where there's one, um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, that has 12 signs of recovery. Okay. And it's all qualitative. And I've seen someone come out of Sexaholics Anonymous, which is much more focused on a sobriety date, where they're a failure because they can't get continuous sobriety in SA. They come to SLAA and they read through the 12 signs of recovery and they were able to tick all 12 Okay. As progress. Uh, so, again, across different programs, different groups, even within SLAA, you'll get some more dogmatic approaches. Um, and and within some SA groups, you'll get less dogmatic approaches. So, each, you know, the personalities, like as you will experience with any 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 mosque or uh, or masjid, uh, will will have its own uh, personalities that 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 in some way set a culture. Okay, that's that's very interesting. And now that you've mentioned SA and SAA and SLAA, let's talk a little more about these. So now that we have covered in general what 12-step programs are, let's start with Sexaholics Anonymous or SA. Can you tell us a little bit more about this in terms of, you know, their own 12 steps, how they function, their target audience, and so on? Okay, so Sexaholics Anonymous was started about 40 years ago. Uh, it was started by a former Christian pastor, um, and so the original literature that was written by him, um, people of all the, uh, whether they're Christian, Jewish, or Muslim will recognise scriptural references uh, across uh, within that. Uh, they're sort of obliquely there, but there's there's a scriptural language and scriptural context uh, concepts there. Mm -hmm. The most dominant theme is the use of the term lust, which is a very faith based um, uh, term, and again, it's mm -hmm. a scriptural definition of lust about taking things taking the sexual desires outside of God's intended purpose for them, and that's what, what lust is considered lust. Mm -hmm. um, so SA has, I would, I, it has not been formally measured, but from what I know, SA has the most religious membership by far of any 12-step program okay. because, because there's a range of these sexual 12-step sexual recovery programs people of, of faith tend to drift towards SA. Mm -hmm. And so there's a strange coincidence where SA has, amongst 12-step programs, it has the highest proportion of Christians. Mm -hmm. It also happens to have the highest proportion of Jews, and it also happens to have the highest proportion of Muslims, okay. all within the one fellowship. Interesting. Now, very internationally, there's 100 SA groups in Iran, there's about 40 in Israel. 
uh, and then it's scattered throughout the world in various strengths in, in various in various countries. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And obviously the target audience is, as you said, you know, any individual who's looking for sexual sobriety. Can we talk a little bit about the sexual ethics? So as I've read on the Sexaholics Anonymous website, um, the the sexual ethics that they follow are the Christian sexual ethics, mainly no sex outside a marriage between a man and a woman, uh, no pornography, no masturbation or anything like that. Is that correct? And, and there's a term that's used um, about um, progressive victory over lust. So again, I think I believe this is something that would be sh- shared with with uh, with Islam and with uh, with uh, Judaism, yeah. um, essentially. Um, but yeah, that and that's a tough call. So there's you know same sex behaviour is not endorsed in in in, in SA, mm-hmm. uh, whereas all the other. 12-step programs that deal with sexual um, recovery um, do allow for that. Okay, that's very interesting. And again, you know, uh, we asked this question before in general, but now with a focus on SA, in your own experience, how effective did you find these programs? Okay, I'll make I'll make myself unpopular, I think, by being honest about this. Um, okay. Since I've been around, I'm going to step back a bit and say I've been around sexual recovery programs in a Christian context, a, a psychological context, and a 12-step context since 1986. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. there's failure if you, if you want to measure it on the, on the basis of continuous sobriety. If you want to look more qualitatively, I'd say there's a lot of, there's a lot of progress. But um, that's, again, Hard, hard to measure. Um, okay. I see so many people coming into all of these programs, including SA, who are promised the earth and, again, wonderful literature, great orators, and walk away disappointed or who burn out after three weeks, three months, or three years. Mm-hmm. It's something that's not talked about much mm-hmm. or is, blame is attached um, but I saw it happen too often and experienced it myself. So I, I, and again, the principles of recovery tell me to be honest and to self-examine, you know, which as to what's real, really happening. Um, so I, I wish the effectiveness were greater. I, it's what's led me to see the neglected physical aspect of recovery that we talked about earlier, that there's been this, the myth of the 50 to 75% success rate if you just work the program hard enough mm-hmm. is quite strong within SA. Um, and in some ways I think it actually harms people because it puts too much pressure on. There is some wonderful stuff that can happen by working the steps, mm-hmm. but I've seen people who've done amazing step work, lots of deep self-examination, made amends, really owning owning their, their darker side and, um, you know, done professional counselling and everything else as well, and they still have trouble with continuous sobriety. Mm-hmm. But generally they've all got progress in some way. Right. And again, it's, it depends on the individual and their own circumstances, as you said. You know, what is available to an executive is different from what's available to someone who's homeless or not as, as well off, right? Yeah. When it comes to SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, if someone is interested in reading more about this, what are the books or resources you would recommend? Uh, start with the SA website, which is sa.org. Um, they've got a variety of, of, of literature available the original text uh, that's out there is called Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, mm-hmm. It's also called the White Book because it's got a plain cover version. Um, mm-hmm. They decided that people didn't want to sit on the bus with a book that had Sexaholics Anonymous on the front cover, so they still want the cover version. So it's affectionately called the White Book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's many other pieces of literature. One of my favourites is one called Recovery Continues. Um, but there's vast array of stuff there, but th- those are, are, are two of my favourites within within that 
And, of course, they refer back to the AA texts, which are available. Um, PDF and audio versions are available free. Um, and you said that you've been involved with SA programs for a very long period of time. How has SA helped you personally as Chris throughout the years? How have you benefited from that? Um, it was vital for me to find my people. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came in, I needed uh, – I'd come from one of the other S programs. I didn't know about SA originally as I was in one of the other S programs. And I found I wasn't getting support there for my goal of abstinence from same-sex behaviour. Mm-hmm. And I needed to be amongst my people and to feel safe. Um, and so find that fellowship has been – vital finding people you know uh, this network of people that i can get honest with and uh where we can talk about temptations we can talk about emotions very honestly um it has been has been absolutely vital there's a lot of key phrases from the essay literature that have really helped me and I'll, i'll just quote a couple of a couple of little quotes um sure One talks about enlightened self-interest must guide us in this process, uh, in our desire, um, and that's that's been a cornerstone for me that, you know, it's not just about conformity to a social norm, to a religious norm, to a cultural norm. It's is this in my enlightened self-interest? Um, mm-hmm. And that's that, that's been very important. Uh, another one is the whole person must be involved in recovery. Um, mm-hmm. Another quote, many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone and afraid. Our insides never matched what we saw on the outsides of others. Um, and this is a slightly longer one, but it's it's a, a, a beautiful one that's uh, from one of the core readings, which you'll see on the website. Um, I think it's the problem. Um, we got it through the eyes, we bought it, we sold it, we traded it, we gave it away. We were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. The only way we knew to be free of it was to do it. Please connect with me and make me whole, we cried with outstretched arms. Lusting after the big fix, we gave away our power to others. This produced guilt, self-hatred, remorse, emptiness and pain. And we were driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside our souls. Our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal. We went for the chemistry, the connection that had the magic because it bypassed intimacy and true union. Fantasy corrupted the real. Lust killed love. First addicts, then love cripples. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves, conning ourselves time and again that the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. Oh, this is very powerful. Now, that's from the problem, and I think it's important to balance that with a, a shorter quote from the solution. Mm-hmm. And this will have um, residence to Islam because a, a, a key concept uh, and a key word In SA, it's also in AA, but it's not used as much in, a, uh, in AA, uh, is the word surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is from the piece called The Solution. We couldn't see the path ahead except that others had gone that way before. Each new step of surrender felt it would be off the edge into oblivion, but we took it. And instead of killing us, surrender was killing the obsession. We had stepped into the light, into a whole new way of life. The fellowship gave us monitoring and support to keep us from being overwhelmed, a safe haven where we could finally face ourselves. Instead of covering our feelings with with compulsive sex, we began exposing, exposing the roots of our spiritual emptiness and hunger, and the healing began. This is definitely beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of that. Okay, and again, another question, but now pertaining to Sexaholics Anonymous. What are some of the downsides or the disadvantages that you have seen throughout your experience? One is the mythology that we've talked about. Um, and, you know, like therapy, medicine, religion, 
SA and all 12-step programs have been largely unaware of the vast range of physiological influences on addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of new knowledge come forward to connect the dots on that to do with genetics, epigenetics, the microbiome, brain scans. Um, and so that missing physical piece um, certainly been key for me and a lot of members I work with. Um, the downside is the overfocus on sobriety and sometimes the blaming people for not wanting it enough or not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overfocus on sobriety when other people might have other other things that are way more important first. That would be considered heresy, me even saying that in some circles. But mm-hmm. um, there's also what I call the true believer syndrome. Mm-hmm. Where you know we believe in that myth of the fifty to seventy-five percent success rate, and we're going to read through these grand words from the AA Big Book and do it exactly as they did, and then we'll get exactly the same results. Um, uh, so the the true believer syndrome is um, I, I'm being critical, alive and well. Um, mm-hmm. In, in all 12-step programs, uh, as well as SA. Um, you also spoke about SLAA and SAA. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about those and other uh, relevant programs? Okay. There's a, a bunch of, of uh of other S programs, as they're called, um, sexual recovery 12-step programs. And Mm -hmm. the three major ones all started around the same time in the early 1980s. That's SA, SLAA, and SAA. So SLAA, or SLA, as as I'll I'll be calling it, um, is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. It has a focus on love addiction as well as sex addiction, and also a concept called um, anorexia, mm-hmm. which covers sexual, social, and emotional anorexia. Okay. Uh, so just as in the food programs, there's a, a they cover both food addicts and bulimics. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of covering people who are emotionally repressed um, as well. Uh, Unlike SA, where there is a common sobriety definition, in SLA members define sobriety for themselves. There's there's obviously literature that helps guide them in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, SLA is mixed gender, uh, and because of the love addiction component, it's about 50% women from what I see, whereas SA is about 90% male. So, but when you said mixed gender, so as SA, you mean the meetings in SA are male and female segregated, but in SLAA they're mixed? Uh, in, I'm talking about the fellowship as a whole. Within both fellowships, you'll have mixed meetings and separate gender meetings. I see. Okay. So, um, and I've, I found it interesting. I've, I've been in all three programs, SAA, SLA, and, and SA, um, and I find that the the especially in recovery from from same sex lust myself, that in the last year or so, spending more time around around SLA and being around women, mm-hmm. it's been an important phase of my growth um, because I, I I would otherwise have had more limited exposure to women in in my life, and I'm I'm getting to speak to younger women and middle aged women and. And um, so it's really been a, a spur to growth cycle for me. For sure, for sure. So that's about SLAW, so Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And, and just to clarify it for anyone who's also listening, so love addiction in terms of, okay, if we're going to take out the sex component, is it uh, chasing romantic relationships or romantic feelings? Is this what, uh, yes. you know, in general? And, you know, and some of the symptoms of this can be people who've got a, you know, they buy piles of romance novels or watch watch all these all these movies, um, or they they might get hooked on serial intense romantic relationships or do a long distance relationships where they're unavailable and there's all this intrigue going on. Okay, all right, 
makes sense. And what about SAA or Sex Addicts Anonymous? Um, SAA was started by a group of therapists who wanted um, private meetings for their own recovery. Uh, mm -hmm. It also allows members to define their own sobriety, um, predominantly male, again, It has a distinct focus on, on sex offenders, though it's not exclusively. Um, there's still a small proportion of the membership, but um, it, it does have a distinct role in, and they are some particular sex offender groups within SAA. Okay. So if anyone is wondering, what is the difference between SAA and SA in this case? The, the most obvious one will be the sobriety definition, mm -hmm. that in SAA it's no sex outside the marriage of a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. In SAA, you'll be able to define sobriety for yourself. Okay. Um, so for one person, masturbation may be in. For another person, masturbation may be out. For one, mar sex before marriage may be in. For another, that may be out. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll have this, this great variety of, of, of individual sobriety definitions within SAA. I see. Okay. All right, so it's subjective based on the person. Yeah. All right. Can you tell us about other fellowships under the sexual recovery umbrella? The next most sizable one is Sexual uh, Compulsives Anonymous. This started, I believe, in the mid-'80s um, mm -hmm. where it was designed as a specifically gay-friendly uh, fellowship uh, where its language was was very much gay-friendly. It's, it's broader in – it's not exclusively gay – Um, uh, but it does have a sizable gay-identified membership. And, and I've got to say all the S programs have a sizable gay membership, but SCA probably has the largest proportionately. Okay. All right. Uh, any other programs that are involved as well? There are a lot of smaller ones out, little smaller ones out there. There's something called Sexual Recovery Anonymous, which only exists in a couple of cities. It was actually an offshoot from SA with a disagreement um, over the sobriety definition. I think there's a, a mm -hmm. porn anonymous or porn addicts anonymous, um, but there's, there's other, a few other smaller ones, but they're in very, very few meetings anywhere. With this, we have come to the end of today's episode. I hope that you have enjoyed it and learned from it, inshallah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Chris is going to be joining me, inshallah, later in another episode uh, after we finish the series on support systems, where he will be sharing with us his story and he will be sharing with us a lot of insights and realizations uh, from his own personal journey. In the next episode, inshallah, joining me all the way from Munich, Germany, is Mr. Robert Goldwitzer, who will be talking to us about Homosexuals Anonymous and the 14-step program. Until then, please stay safe and healthy, and I look forward to talking to you in a couple more days. This has been Wahid Jensen in the Way Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.